His Holiness and friends. We, the members of the Indian Police Foundation in particular, and the police fraternity in general, we are privileged to be blessed by you this morning. His Holiness, your subject is empathy and compassion in policing. There's a general impression that police are normally and expected to be rude in their behavior towards the ordinary citizens and harsh in the treatment of criminals. I would say that these are aberrations in our working, which we have inherited from the British Raj. The Police Act of 1861 continues to be in force to this day, and that affects our working, that affects our ethos. The British wanted a police force which would be at their beck and call and which would enable them maintain their imperial hold over the country. And that is how they designed the police in India to be. Unfortunately, the same situation continues to this day. This has to change. The police should reflect the democratic aspirations of the people. It should be friendly. It should be humane. It should be compassionate. It should be fair and just in its treatment of the ordinary citizens. The Police Foundation has been working to bring about this transformation in the Indian police. And we are happy that we would be blessed by you on this occasion and that our faith and convictions would be reinforced. To quote what uh, His Holiness said on one occasion, love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. We must show these qualities in our treatment of the common citizens. A few words about His Holiness himself. In a peasant family, at the age of two, he became the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama means a spiritual guru who has profound knowledge. At the age of 15, he assumed full political power. The, the Dalai Lamas are supposed to be, or believed to be, reincarnation of Avalokiteshvara, an important Buddhist deity. In 1959, following the Chinese repression in Tibet, His Holiness moved to India. So, I'd love to point out a couple of dichotomies there. If you listen to the chairman of the Indian police services or what have you, you'll understand that he said that uh, being unkind uh, as a police officer, either to the public or to a prisoner, is an aberration, meaning it's not common. Yet he goes on to say that this sort of behavior has been inherited from the Raj because the British police force wanted X. 
If it's an aberration, then it's not being taught still. So how can it be with no British in the Indian police force now? How can it still be because of... But I love how he's obviously very steeped in this sort of <laughs> tradition that was passed down from the Raj, yet he's embarrassed of that, but not at all embarrassed that he is unable to pronounce a word from his own culture or know what particular deity. I mean, just open a book or an internet web browser. I know Aviloquiteswara is a hard word to pronounce. It takes a little practice. But that's as an English person. I mean, this gentleman, if he only speaks English, then he's the height of hypocrisy for blaming certain things on the Raj, but then himself, he most likely does speak other languages, so it should be easier for him to speak. They didn't translate it to the Dalai Lama, so I was hoping he would say something. So in his stead, I'd like to be so bold as to say what should have been said to this police officer. First... Even if the British were still training Indians to treat fellow Indians like garbage, it is within the individual Indian to be compassionate to their fellow Indian. Yet, here we sit, many, nearly century later, many, many decades later, and he's still blaming the British Raj for something that, well... If he's the chairman of the police force, why doesn't he change? Why didn't he change? Why? Because they're not taking individual responsibility for something that is an individual responsibility. And even if you're trained, even if you're tradition, this is the teaching of Buddhism, this is the teaching of Hinduism, it's the teaching of the Gita and the Yoga Sutras. Personal responsibility, actions, ethics... So you blame your training or a tradition or some sort of traumatic history for the reason why you make bad choices as an individual, you're to blame. You're to blame. And then there is one more. The Dalai Lama goes on and talks about his two personal experiences with police forces. Uh, his nine years in China, uh, apologies, his nine years in Tibet with Chinese policing, and then since in Dharamsala with the Indian police force. And he joked that uh, the Indian are watching out for him, protecting him, and the Chinese were just watching him. It's funny, but it made me realize something I hadn't realized before. How important, uh, I mean, I have a background in military policing a little bit in the family. So I understood a little bit from the little bit of training you get, the books lying around and the stuff they talk about. So the Dalai Lama had a much different experience because it probably had common policing, just, you know, watching out for him and making sure he didn't do anything weird or anyone would do anything unbecoming to him, sure. But in India, if you look... The Dalai Lama has a very special police force. In fact, if you look, most times they're carrying MP5s. I know you're not familiar with it, most people, but uh, there was a time when uh, like the attempted assassination on Ronald Reagan uh, that made the Uzi get this reputation for being the ultimate uh, 
you know, personal defense weapon. Now, in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, the MP5 by Heckler & Koch, it's a German company. It's an excellent weapon, uh, very reliable, robust, and all that. Um, great reputation, but it's also very expensive. So why would the Indian police, who have their own firearms industry, why would they use it? And, yeah, they've used other weapons. I've seen them with AK-47s, and that makes perfect sense because... Uh, Parts are so interchangeable that it would be so, so convenient to, uh, but again, for close protection, not the best weapon. So as they say, most times they're protecting them with MP5s. And so why? Why when you could produce your own domestic weapon just as good for a fraction, we're talking probably even a tenth the price, why would you still choose to use these very expensive um, German submachine guns. Well, for the same reason, right? Because your first job is uh, to present the idea that you are an insurmountable uh, obstacle, right? That it would be absolute uh, um, madness to try to, you know, pull something, as they say, with these gentlemen, because it's twofold. One, look it, we have these weapons right out in front, visible. You know, we're not going to mess around. Two, these weapons, particularly where they're at, say that we are willing to spend five and ten times the cost to let you know that there is going to be zero chance of us failing to, you know, do our job. No question. It's a psychological choice, an expensive one. But an effective one, in my opinion, right? Because if you see someone standing there with an AK-47, you have no idea if it's 40 or 50 years old. You have no idea how it's maintained because, I mean, they're a dime a dozen. You see someone wearing an MP5, you know there's probably someone who is specifically paid to maintain <laughs> and keep those weapons in good order, right? So, yeah, I thought I'd mention that as well. A funny little anecdote.